right, everybody. I know it's been a minute, but we are back on track with Megasheen, your podcast for all things gay and geeky from a black, geek, queer, foolish perspective. <laughs> Not foolish, but from a fun perspective. I am Victor. And I'm Nick. And what has been good in the hood? Well, you know, it's good weather right now. Um, people spend the money. Um, there's been a lot of wrecks. So that means people out here trying to get to the malls, you know, get that 30% off. And realizing that 30% is tax. So you're really not getting the deal. But tax, is, tax here is like $8 in mess. So, you know, it's, you know, maybe you're getting a good deal. Maybe you're not. Um, but, you know, can't complain. It's Los Angeles and we're just having a good time. So how about yourself? What's going on down in Kentucky? Oh, you know, Kentucky is Kentucky. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, <clears throat> not much really. Doing a lot of uh, Black Friday shopping for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ordered a shitload of uh, beauty products. Um, you know, got to get that skin right because, you know, you get a little older, stuff starts sagging, you know. Again. Next, <laughs> next starts looking like a tree trunk. Oh, Lord. Um, tree trunk. So let's talk about looks because didn't somebody put up a picture on Instagram and Twitter recently? And they um summer hoe outfit. Don't do all that. That is so. <laughs> I mean, we was down in Florida, you know, walking around the beach, and you know, we had just finished our uh, little little brunch, um, and it was hot shit. So of course, I had uh, the little little swim trucks on and a little little uh wife beater or whatever uh whatever they want to call it these days um you know that was when I was going to the gym regularly now it's been it's like once every two weeks over here (laughs) well yeah I just well I'm glad you had you know you went on a nice little trip you know showed off some legs gave some people you know something to see oh, there was some fine ass men down there um, yes down in little florida i was like okay yeah you know, florida may be the hell mouth but they do got cute people down there <laughs> right but uh, anyway what's going on over there with uh with you well um you know it was we had our our break, holiday break. So we've been off since, uh, you know, Tuesday was kind of there, not really doing much and was off, you know, Wednesday all the way up to now. Doesn't feel like we've been off that long because there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on overall. Um, Yeah, everybody went shopping. Um, I went, you know, I went to go look because, you know, it's fun just to go to the major malls or the major shopping areas here in Los Angeles to see what's going on. A lot of car accidents. So, you know, a lot of people (laughs) were trying to get those deals. Um, 
very interesting to watch. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, you know, had a you know a good holiday, you know, um, and you know try to eat healthy, but still end up eating some of the wrong things. I think as I, I think I've said before on Twitter, the Chessman cookies, the shortbread cookies, are the devil. Um, you can eat a whole bag of those and don't really realize that you ate a whole bag of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, just you know. Feeling good. We had um, the San Diego Comic-Con, the special edition, happened this past weekend. I did not go because we have Los Angeles Comic-Con coming up this weekend. So there was really kind of no reason to go all the way there when literally one is coming down the street. So I'm just really excited for that to see what's going on. Have a panel for that. We're going to talk about queer creators of color and what we're doing. Um, I do know that one of our panelists has uh, a Kickstarter for an anthology about um, piss parties. So that is going to be interesting. I think you know one of the other um, writers and and creators of that as well. Um, So it's going to be... Oh, yeah. What's his name? Uh, Oh, my gosh. Uh, Drove Orion. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, doing a Kickstarter. Um, let me properly find the, the actual thing because uh, he's been working on it for a minute. Yes. So those of you who enjoy that kink, um, that will be out there soon. You'll probably see more about it. Uh, I think yellow is the color. I think it's called yellow is the color. I can't remember the name of it. Yellow um, is the warmest color. Yeah. Oh, the warmest color. Um, but one of my panelists, um, William O. Tyler, will be um, is is going to be participating in that book, and probably will be talking about it um, in our panel next week. So that will be very interesting. But besides that, you know, I'm going to make a keto pumpkin pie later, and that's about it. Girl, what? <laughs> it, it was good last year. <laughs> Well, no, I made a, pump, a keto pumpkin cheesecake last year, and it was really good. I was really excited about that. But we're going to make one this year, but we're going to cheat a little bit because we're going to we're going to put in a little bit of molasses because I did have biscuits for dinner one night. Hold on, you just had biscuits. That's it. Nothing else. Biscuits and molasses. That's all I did. Yeah, I'm not really a biscuits and gravy person. Um, and like you didn't have anything to drink with these biscuits, though. Like, you just, like your throat is just closed up. <laughs> I have asphyxiating on this damn biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> there were the biscuits were butter. You know, I put on some molasses. Um, I got um, talked about by my friends saying that that is real country nigga eating, and yes, it is. I said <laughs> so. They don't have burr rabbit over here, so burr rabbit syrup is what we used to always use, but they got molasses, and that's the same thing. Um, a woman looked at me funny when I put the molasses on the on the cart, and she was like, "Oh wait," she was like, "Oh, haven't seen this," you know. I was like, "I was like, okay, bitch, just ring it up. We don't. I don't <laughs> have like <laughs> just ring up my molasses. Don't." talk about me i am from the south i am from i am a gen xer from the south so yes biscuit and molasses is you know the thing so 
people really talked about that. It's like, who eats biscuits and molasses? And I was like, well, I do, and many people in the South do, so. Mm. One thing about the comments, they are not on your side. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, so yeah, it's been pretty easy, a lot of stuff, you know, so can't complain. Oh. Okay. I hope everybody has had a good uh, Thanksgiving if you celebrated, because you know, before we got on uh, on the air, like we were saying, Black folks don't necessarily celebrate Thanksgiving. We just celebrate a day of rest. Yes, with a lot of food. Uh-huh. Cooking and joking. Yeah, we saw a lot of people post their little food. You know, I'm like, apartments, like, I don't want to do that because, I mean, you can do that, but you know, it's not always, I don't. I kind of don't know the reason why you want to do like, yeah, you ate, okay. Right. A lot of us ate the same damn thing. Yeah. You know, for those of you who wanted to cook all that, um, there's always going to be debate with mac and cheese about who's doing what. I saw some dry turkey um, that was put up there. Um, And then there was a couple of pictures of, well, videos of white people eating, you know, going being at a black family's function. Um, and just having their minds totally blown. Like one guy was eating, he couldn't even breathe. Th- that man was eating like he have, had been in solitary confinement for 10 years. Yes, had food around his mouth. I was like, I said, this. Like he was guarding his food like he had somebody steal his food before. <laughs> I'm like, girl, you just breathe. And, you know, I have, you know, I've, I've had a white partner before and I remember him actually eating, you know, black, black cooked Thanksgiving and he, his mind was really blown because he, you know, he grew up poor and, you know, <laughs> this is, so this is what they used to have. They used to have chocolate gravy and biscuits. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> that sounds absolutely disgusting. We were cooking. He said, oh, yeah, can we add another tradition? I was like, a tradition? I said, what is it? He says, biscuits with chocolate gravy. I'll say, no. <laughs> Keep it. His chocolate gravy was milk, chocolate syrup, some flour and some melted chocolate chips. I said, if this ain't some white Angela's ashes ass meal, some some Loretta Lynn eating, <laughs> right? Some uh, Louisiana woman, Mississippi man ass meal, should have had my face. <laughs> How dare you! He made that mess that I said, if you don't put that in, we had two of our good friends were white and she, she, um, Corinne, she grew up in, both of them grew up in Florida, um, Jonathan Corinne. And she said, I also am from the deep South and, you know, come from the whitest of families. And we ain't never heard, because he comes from Pennsylvania, he came from Pennsylvania. And so um, it was like, we've never heard of this before. And I was like, I don't. I was like, I don't know about this, but yes. But so he anyway. made that up on the fly. Yes. He thought he was doing somebody's uh 
Chopped series or whatever the fuck on Food Network, and he was like, "Okay, I need uh, this and this and this." I'm like, "You are not gonna get chopped. There is nobody's. Uh, there is nobody's Bobby Flay all up and through." Like, what are you doing? Ugh, I would have not gone out with him after that. That that was a mess. That was a hot mess. It was. He thought. And you know, you, you know, you, when you you when you dating somebody, you trying to be supportive. You'd be like, okay. And I took a bite. I I was like, um, let's just say if we, you know, you ever meet my family, you can't bring this over there because they <laughs> they will be nice about it, but they will pull me to the side and be like, if you don't get this crack out of our house, right? Right. <laughs> You better get this pilgrim on the phone out. And yes, and you know, Thanksgiving meal for Black families is a serious deal. You know, we've seen those little videos where somebody tried to bring in some vegan mac and cheese and didn't tell nobody. And then, you know, the the one of us have to go off and you can't do that. You have this, that type of stuff. You have to let them know six months in advance. You're going to do that. Right. If you are getting that, because that uh, is a coveted title to do all that. Yes. You just can't be like, you can be like, oh, we're going to make an extra one. And they'll be like, okay, so there's an extra one. If people want to try it, put that off on top of the refrigerator, but everybody the real food is going to be on the table. <laughs> You know, you know, be, you know, nice about it. But yes, we take that stuff very seriously. We take our dressing seriously. There's still going to be debate about cranberry sauce being made or from the can. Um, you know, all the puddings. I'm, one, I, I'm not a peach cobbler person. I'm an apple cobbler person. I have been, I have been tortured by my family for that. Um, <laughs> because I did bring apple cobbler and my aunt damn near said if you don't that's gonna go out to the squirrels um, but they they did like it they just like we just we just never heard no other thing that you know so I got accused of being around too many white people by bringing some apple cobbler to the house but um, yeah Thanksgiving is a serious thing and you know, if you ate good, that's great. If you order out, a lot of people order out, you know, Whole Foods, Gelson's, that's good too. I, I don't know how mm-hmm. y'all trust people because, you know, Whole, Whole Foods, they ain't good with seasoning stuff. So I don't know what y'all. Right. I couldn't, uh, we had, we usually don't do turkeys on uh, Thanksgiving because it's so passe and, we just don't like it. So we order, I think my mom cooks like a um, a pork roast and she was going to cook grains, but she couldn't find any jail meat. And I'm like, I have never, in the 35 years of living, we have never had a problem trying to find jail meat for these uh, mustard grains. Now all of a sudden everybody discovered jail meat and can't find it anywhere. Can't even find it online. I'm like, you know what? You motherfuckers didn't order <laughs> using jow meat until like last year. And so now we got to just 
forego like you want me to use country ham and my grains like do you hear yourself like ill and I don't want to use ham hocks no I'm about to say not even ham hocks or, or, or pork bellies that's what other people have been doing today. and I see pork belly might be a better substitute than um, well since we can't find jowl meat anywhere but I don't like I don't like ham hocks that much and everything else is just too I'm just going to say too white um so like we was my mom was going to get a a shoulder roast she was going to order a shoulder roast Mm -hmm. do you know that them motherfuckers tried to charge her 230 black ass american dollars for a shoulder roast what i'm like all right what happened who's buying shoulder roast why are this so goddamn much I mean, I mean, at that point, that's what I'm saying. Like, why? Like, who is buying so many of them that they trying to charge? <sighs> okay, I might as well kill the animal myself. <laughs> Shit, Lord, two hundred dollars. Yeah, was- girl. I was like, oh, we just all gonna be having starches then. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I fried chicken. I fried chicken when like, I've done a turkey before. That mess, that was a lot. I'm like, good lord, because I, because again, black seasoning, juicy. You have to make sure that damn turkey stays juicy and seasoned. And you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know how my mama and all of them been doing it well, but that was a that was a damn. That was a feat. So then I think one year I got the half turkey with it. Well, how they do it? It was half turkey. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to fry some chicken because that's all we really need to do anyway. Turkey turkey, and chicken, they the same bird. So they the same birdhouse. Not birdhouse. <laughs> I look at turkey and chicken like black, like light skin and dark skin people. So it, it was, they still black. So I look at, that's how I look at it. They're all birds. So we're going to do just fried chicken because I know how to do that. <laughs> it's not that much work. Oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, so yeah, but I'm glad. So y'all did not find any thing for the, for the greens? Mm-mm, we didn't have them. I was very upset about it. I was like, oh, so we not having a green. So let me just take my black ass back home. Right. And that's what we also do. If we can't find the right ingredients, we just don't have it. You just can't substitute the white Right. We don't do that. And mustard grains are the superior grains. I don't care what y'all say. (laughs) Y'all can have your little nasty ass turnip greens. You can have your nasty ass collard greens. Mustard greens are top tier. So you about to start. And you can be upset about it. You better start a fight because you know how people feel about it. I know. I know. <laughs> and maybe we need to have um, Brian on the show because I know he's he made some greens and he put it on Twitter. Oh, Urban, what's his name? Urban. Oh, Urban Bohemia. Yeah, he made some greens and put it on Twitter. So I don't know. We we we, we might need to have a discussion about that because. <laughs> holiday food. Yes, holiday food and which greens are superior greens? Because that, that that's 
you're that's violence. You just kind of start. Yeah, I know. I, I always choose violence, kids. <laughs> all right, y'all. We can go all day about some holiday food because that is something that you know we get into. Even when you don't think you want to get into it, you find yourself getting into it. Um, because you can wait to the last. Yep. You know, I love people wait to the last minute. And you know, you want to go to Target just to get you some cookies. And everybody and they mama and they dead great great grandmama is at the damn Target trying to get all the things they should have got last week. But you know, it's just it's always funny to see that too. I'm like, y'all, y'all knew it was gonna be a mess. But I also noticed they did some price hiking in certain stores for the day of things. I was like, y'all are y'all are so capitalist. I was like, Lord, but they were buying it though. But yeah, but you know, we should get into the show. You know, it's, we we've been gone for a little bit, so some stuff happened and stuff is about to happen. Uh, we have seen the multiple trailers of Spider-Man: Far From Home, and as we do know, it's going to be a multiverse event. We will see everybody from the past um, Spider-Man movies in the last 20 years. Um, the question is, are we going to see Toby and Andrew? I think so. I think it's all been um, announced, but unannounced, not really announced. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, somebody did like a frame by frame of the uh, the trailer and they noticed that some of the, particularly when Spider-Man was going up against, uh, what is he, Electro, Sandman, and Lizard, Lizard gets hit, like, from behind or in front of, he gets hit. Um, and so somebody had, the, the rumor is that they had taken out the other Spider-Man to make it appear that uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man was fighting everybody by himself. Uh, and we can go back to other trailers, for instance, um, Infinity War, when all of them were running through the woods and that led us to believe something else that didn't actually happen, you know? So... I think they're in there. They have to be, because Spider Man ain't gonna take up take all of them. Not Tom Holland Spider Man anyway. Yeah, and I forgot about that because you know they do MCU love to give you a lie in these trailers and have you thinking one thing and mm -hmm. then stuff. So it's that I secretly believe we're gonna see Miles because you can't have a multiverse. You just can't and not include Miles. Uh, I just, I just can't. There's gonna be something that has to happen, but because technically we already met his uncle um, in um, the homecoming. Um, yeah. So we, who knows? We may see Miles in this, but it does look good. It's gonna be very interesting. They love that that shot of you know the damsel falling. So we did see, you know, MJ falling 
Uh, if you look at them, people have already compared to clips of other people, like the other MJs and Gwen following. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. I mean, usually I'm, I've never been a big Spider-Man fan, but I do enjoy the movies. Um, this is going to be a lot because this is going to be kind of the introduction of how the multiverse will work as we go further on. Because, um, you know, Doctor Strange is going to be showing out um, also with Ant-Man and Wasp. They're going to be really dealing with some stuff. Um, so, yeah. And it's kind of interesting because it's going to set the tone for, you know, what's coming in the future. Um, uh-huh. So it's, it's really good. I can't wait. And I think it's what, the 13th, uh, December 13th, that we're going to, which will be here literally. It's the 17th. In, oh, 17th. So it'll be here in two days because the way time is flying right now. You know, we're right. all December is literally this week, and I still don't know where October went. So, um, yeah, this is going to be really good. It's going to be really fun to watch in the theater. Um, so, yeah, we know as more come out, we'll be talking more about this, but we'll probably do a review, or review of Spider Man before the year ends. So, do look out for that. Um, following that, um, we um hawkeye has come out and what we're going to do moving forward is we'll wait till the entire season is over and then we'll really give our review and our opinions but the first two episodes have come out um and they were kind of fun nick what did you think of these two episodes um hawkeye is not my he's one of my least favorite characters uh but it's I like to see where they go from the next, the first two episodes. Uh, what's the uh, Kate Bishop, the actress who plays her, Haley Stansfield? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I'm watching it for mostly her and not so much him. You know. Um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised, and I am interested in what's going to happen next yeah and like and like you i do like you know Haley is a you know she's been really coming up she started she started out in some of the um those films i'm the oh can't think of it right now it's the acapella films <laughs> um Oh, Pitch Perfect. Yeah, Pitch Perfect. She started in one of those. Um, she's also a musician. Uh, she was in uh, Bumblebee. So, you know, she's been kind of in the, she's been in the game for a little bit. Um, very interesting, if you know about Kate Bishop, if you're going to read the comics, there's been a lot of people hating on Kate because saying she's rich and privileged. Why should she be a superhero? I'm like, I guess y'all, yeah. I said, where was all this, you know, when <laughs> Batman <laughs> That's what Batman is, everybody. Um, but anyway, do check out her individual story in the comics. Because there's a lot more to Kate than what you think. And even in the, these two episodes, you can see that that's not, that's not who she is. Right. Um, so she's not really about that. But it was nice to see, um, what's her name from The Conjuring? You know, I, I always enjoy seeing her and stuff. So, And she had that cute red dress. You know that one that was like uh, it looked like chiffon, or yeah. and it was uh, gathered and mm-hmm. ruching. You know the boyfriend made that dress, made a replica of that exact same dress. What? Mm-hmm. 
one of y'all better wear it because <laughs> I was like, and she had that bob and I was like, you know, that all that works. All of that works. Uh-huh. That's that's the type of outfit you wear when you really when you want to be somewhere, but you don't want to be somewhere, but you're here. It's like you that something easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Very easy. Like I'm cute and you know it is. But I'm very, you know, interested to see how this story works out. Um, you know, and again, Hawkeye's not my favorite. You know, his one of his older sons look like <laughs> Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> but besides that, let's see where this goes. I'm a little excited for it. You know, usually, like, you know, I wasn't like Loki and some of the other ones I wasn't like really into until I got, until we got into them. And I was like, okay, I'm really into it. So I think I'll feel the same way about Hawkeye as we move forward. Who was that grown ass little kid um, at the dinner, at the party that, uh, oh, I don't know whose kid it was, but this kid, I swear, he looked grown. He looked older than me and you put together. Oh, that the Ahmad, I think he's Ahmad Seven. Was that him? Yeah. I was like, this grown ass kid. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> That kid had a 401k. Probably a future villain. So we he looked like it. Yeah, a future villain, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, again, this was, you know, cute for what, what they're doing with this. And um, I, I like a little backstory why she, you know, becomes who she becomes from seeing what happened back in 2012. It is very interesting to know that that's going to be 10 years next year when all that went down. Uh, mm-hmm. It's already been ten years, but again, it's gonna be like, well, ten years for that movie. I forgot they started a couple movies beforehand, but just seeing like, wow, we're gonna be really hitting a landmark very soon. So, yeah, you know, Hawkeye. If you haven't seen it? It is available. Do check it out. Let, let us know what you think. We'll be doing a review of the entire series um, by the end of the year. So be ready for that too. So it's a lot of good things coming up. Um, also really interesting, um, slightly political. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Kyle Rittenhouse, it's interesting to see what happened with that case. And then you turn around and see what happens uh, to the Ahmad Aubrey case. Uh, how, you know, one way we kind of knew it was gonna happen. The other one was kind of surprised a little bit, but we're glad that it happened. Um, so, uh, but for those who don't know, Kyle Rittenhouse is not out of the water, out of the pot yet. Um, and what we, for those who don't know, as you know, he was found not guilty due to the meddling of that particular judge and all that greatness over there. However, civil suits, and nobody wants to go through a civil suit. And we saw what happened to OJ. I think that kind of bankrupted <laughs> when the civil suits came out. Uh-huh. So we do know that the civil suits are probably coming because this these are two white families and you know how white people are. So this is gonna, they've already said we're going into civil cases. Um, there's a possibility that the DOJ may look back in this case because if y'all if y'all did watch the Kyle Rittenhouse case, that judge was outrageous. Um, and it, I'm like, yeah, Dude, you're not setting him up for success at all. You're almost setting it up for another higher court to take over. So I don't know why you did what you did you know how white folks are yeah 
Who's that who said that? Katya said that. <laughs> White people are awful. Um, <laughs> but yes, that is something. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, to have, what, less than 24 or 48 hours, he's taking a picture with Trump. I'm like, come on. I was like, all right. Um, I do love when Ducey, uh, Peter Ducey, who is a reporter at Fox News, went to the White House. They were doing a press you know, conference there. And Jen, who's the press secretary, they, they said, will President, <laughs> they said, will President Biden you know, issue an apology to Kyle Rittenhouse? She basically said, no. <laughs> like, nigga, for what? Like, the, he, every time he gets up there and asks a stupid ass question, he gets uh, embarrassed. Like, I don't get you people at all. Yeah, I think she likes it too. I think she's like, I know that, like, here he come. Let me just put him in a place real quick. I'm like, mm-hmm. why do you even do it, dude? You fail every time. She gets you every time. That's a pro. That is a pro. And wait till Kareem, uh, when she starts getting in there, because she's a black woman and she got him too at one point. So I'm like, you can't do this. You need to stop. But yeah, Cal House is not out of the water yet. The civil cases are coming and um, it's a possibility again, DOJ. Um, but then jumping on the other side of things, you know, with the Aubrey case, um, Ahmad Aubrey case, when they just basically said, all of y'all are guilty on all accounts. I just started mm-hmm. laughing. I started laughing. So I was like, y'all knew y'all was wrong. But I, I had to remind myself that this case almost didn't even happen because of yep. that DA. The original DA was basically going to li- just not even going to hear it or let it even go anywhere. I'm just like, of course, again, white women who are very, 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 very active in white supremacy. Like that was like a very interesting thing to to know that she was, and I and I I think it always shocks me how much white women are willing to throw away their entire lives and career over white men's, you know insolence like i'm like y'all about to ruin yourselves over men y'all not even sleeping with these men and you're about to throw away your entire career and then there was a white cop that they that was like trying to talk to the damn murderer saying like y'all gotta you gotta gotta do this you gotta do all that i'm like what so yeah they're gonna go to jail um all of them were found guilty that was beautiful um, and, you know, but, you know, we, we celebrate these situations because they don't come often. Um, no. No. At all. So, yeah, that was a little bit of stuff that's happened, but we have to keep our, you know, be sharp, keep our minds together because it's not over because, um, as y'all also know, that they're trying to, you know, the, some cop, union cops or whatever they're, you know, these legions of cops are trying to start a new campaign to like talk about don't record them when they're doing stuff like girl if you don't get the fuck out of my face i'm about to say yeah we're gonna still record you every time y'all do stuff like the camera it will be coming on we will be brenda from scary movie we will have you on candy camera i think we got you okay <laughs> so be ready you can't do anything about it when you think there's no camera there is a camera um so just you know if you do your jobs right, 
wouldn't have to be in this mess. <laughs> right. Oh man. Uh, let's see what else is happening. Oh, we do know Wonder Woman three is coming out. Um, there was already talk with Petty um, about it. Who, who's the director? And Linda Carter has come out to say she's in this one. All we ask is if it will actually be good. That's all. Well, girl. <laughs> um, didn't uh, Gal Gadot sign on to play a um, a Disney villain? Oh, yes. And y'all, <laughs> y'all let that woman breathe. <laughs> uh -uh, don't let that woman breathe. Shit. She knows she couldn't be a uh, doing good with that movie it was like what's it had uh sleeping beauty no um snow white i think so because you know if if, if if she was going to replace angelina that was going to be a fight because you one thing that angelina is going to do is play a character any character and she's going to she is malevolent you get malevolent i can never say that name, but that's who angelina is so Young, yeah, young. Gal uh, is supposed to, she's in final negotiations to play the evil queen in the Disney's a live adaptation, live action adaptation of Snow White. Mm. Right. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Y'all could have went and asked, um, what's her name? To go, I mean, she played the evil queen in that other Snow White movie. Y'all could have asked, what you call it? I'm going to do that. Y'all could have asked um, anybody else, to be honest with you. Um, quiet as a cab. They could have asked uh, Lana Perilla from uh, Once Upon a Time because oh, okay. she played evil. Uh, she played Regina, yeah, and then she played the evil queen. And that they could have asked Dominique Jackson. They could have asked uh, a shitload of people. I just feel like this was like the lowest of bare fruits to ask. Yeah. I could have got Viola Davis to come up in there and play the evil queen. Imagine Viola Davis giving like an Oscar-winning uh, <laughs> performance. It's not uh, running down the nose and eyes yeah. bugging out and all that kind of shit. You know, for her cussing out, giving the monologues to damn mirror. Right. <laughs> you, yeah, I can see her too, how she was doing Bonnie in that damn scene. <laughs> mirror, you better tell me what I need to know right now. <laughs> Right there, shaking it up so damn much. Ward cussing out the mirror, yeah. <laughs> and probably won't win. Um, so yeah, well, you know what? You know, go. You know, she was in the Red Notice that movie with The Rock. Um, that apparently almost eight hundred million people watch. Now I don't know who these eight million people are. But I know right. I was not one of them. I did not watch that movie. Um, I, I'm not the person who believes that, you know, I'll, I'll watch a rock movie, but you, it's not my choice. But, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah. <laughs> the rock plays the same character. He does. He can play him new a little bit more, but yeah, he was playing the same. There you go. <laughs> you got a jazz today. Uh, so, yeah. 
And so, you know, you know, Wonder Woman 3, just make it good. That's all we ask. Make it good. You know, Nubia has returned. You can bring her into it. Um, you can give us a new cheetah. There's been three cheetahs in, in the comic book history. Please don't put a cheetah in no hot topic. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't, yeah, please don't make cheetah one of the, you know, bad girls in Donna Summer's video. So, that, you know, be right. She's looking like she from, uh, what was it, uh, Vanity Six, uh, Apollonia or something. <laughs> like, she is a pussycat doll. She's Nicole. Like, you got Nicole. And right. Right. Yeah. You could have got Nicole to play. Let's not do that. Let's not do that to Nicole. Um, Schwarzenegger, whatever her name is. That's not her name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that to that woman. But I'm just saying, just make it good. Y'all, DC, you got a mile to run. More than that, to be honest, but come on, make this movie good. I don't know what else they got coming out. They got something coming. Oh, they got the Batman coming out, which is not technically in the universe, but it has, um, you know, has um, Catwoman in it, but it has a black Catwoman in it. I think we're all gonna go for that uh -huh. and everything else and, you know, it's really loud out here today. But yeah, it's gonna just see how that goes. We got, um, you know, Robert, I forgot his last name, but he's gonna play the Batman. Patterson. Yeah, Robert Patterson. Zoe Kravitz, who, you know, I have to give credit because if y'all pay attention to the trailer, you know, when she crests his face, her nails are are in place. Um, you know, she looks really good. The short hair, the little pixie cut, it's gonna look really good. I will have that figure, you know, when the figure comes out, you know, you know a lot of us gonna buy that figure. I love me a good little pussycat wig. <laughs> yes, it is a cute little, that's a cute little, you know, even, I know y'all gonna clown me for this, even Halle Berry's little wig that she had for Catwoman was cute too. Like that, that little, swoop to the side you know but now you got two looks you can play with this and all that great it, it was okay i mean <laughs> yeah i won't go that far like. yeah well you know i'm always go up for i'm always staying for the halle berry catwoman movie so i know there's a few of us out there that we will do it i think um um Dax exclamation point also stands for the movie. So, you know, it's a few of us out there <laughs> who stand for it. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that part. We'll, again, we'll be looking forward to seeing this new Catwoman into place. People don't talk about the Anne um, Hathaway Catwoman that much, even though it wasn't. And then they shouldn't. But she did. It wasn't a bad job. But they don't talk about her as much as the others. They don't. I kind of feel bad for her about that, but they don't want to talk about that much. <laughs> oh man, so what else do we got? What else is going on that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, I don't think we have anything else. Yeah. I think that's enough for right now. There's enough right now. We yeah. have a little bit more coming up. Got some historic stuff coming up for y'all. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to put all this stuff away. But when we return, uh, we got some good history 
queer history that you need to know. All right, everybody, um, welcome back to Megashine. Um, so today we do have a guest that we think is very, very important to talk to, especially with the political climate that's happening right now. He has worked as a national broadcaster at the Italian National Broadcasting Company, reporter for the Armed Services Radio Television in Vietnam, and an early activist during the gay right liberation movement back in the day, like before, <laughs> like before, you know, the times of if some of you may think of the 90s. He was, Robert was doing this beforehand. Um, his book, Banned from California, is out and it tells the story of a gay runaway mm -hmm. and his life growing up in the 50s. So please welcome to the show, Robert C. Steele. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I've listened to some of your podcasts and you're doing a lot of good out there in the podcast sphere. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to the show. My pleasure. Uh, so let's just go ahead and get into this interview. Um, your book, what was the inspiration for it? Jim lived a very different life than what I've lived. Uh, we met as activists in the early 1970s. At that time, we all thought we were on the threshold of very positive expectations, and we were making exciting strides in this new gay civil rights movement. And uh, we were all embarking on some, a lot of exciting times. And it was against this backdrop that Jim Fauché and I met. And uh, a couple of decades later in the 1990s, I did a series of interviews of Jim for a band from California. I was working full time and didn't want to work on the book in the evenings and on my weekends. But finally, uh, 20 years later, I earnestly began writing a book. And about six or seven years ago, I realized that I had to start getting banned from California written and published that I felt that I absolutely could not let this important story be lost to history. It was important and it absolutely had to be told and offered to people. Yeah, I, I do agree that if a you know story like this should be out there for people to, you know, really get a handle on. Um, but can you tell us how much of a personal experience um, did you draw from to put into the book? Well, um, well, for Ben from California, I researched historical records and newspapers and magazines and journals and from government documents and personal letters and from various audio recordings. In addition to all of the uh, interviews that I did with uh, Jim. And even though Banned from California is a biography about Jim's life, it's really a lot more than that. It, it's a look at a certain time in LGBT history and the culture and history of the LGBTQ civil rights movement in the USA up for Jim's life and his many travels. And we see 70 years of American culture through the eyes of this gay American. Uh, most LGBTQ history books 
or gay history books. They're written in a more academic style. And a lot of readers find that style to be somewhat dry and harder to plod through. I wrote Ben from California, a first person doing their style. And a lot of readers said that it makes it a, a very and a lot more captivating read. And I'm honored to hear a lot of the wonderful feedback from people who've read the book. They've tell me that they shed tears in certain parts of the story and laughed in others. So Ben from California is beginning to get quite a track record in the public consciousness. Oh, that's awesome to hear, especially how much it's resonated with so many different people. Um, in the 1950s and 60s, there was this overwhelming sea of change. You know, you had the, the gay liberation movement, you had the civil rights movement, you had women uh, getting their voice heard. Um, so can you describe what, what queer life was like prior and during this gay movement? Oh yeah, uh, life was tough for homosexuals back then. In the 1950s, homosexual acts were illegal in all of the states across the country. And even the American Civil Liberties Union at that time asserted that civil rights did not pertain to homosexuals. And the Vice Squad was always on the lookout for homosexuals. And if you were convicted of sodomy, been a year in prison. And in the early 1950s, during the McCarthy era, you had U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy. He was embarking on a highly publicized quest to rid the government of nists and homosexuals. And in the U.S. House of Representatives, the House Un-American Activities Committee also investigated communist homosexuals. And also, even President Dwight Eisenhower issued an executive order declaring that sexual perversion was grounds for homosexuals to be fired from their jobs. But Jim lived an openly gay teenage life in the 1950s, even though that was seen as uh, criminal behavior at the time. And Banned from California places Jim's story within the context of the civil rights movement during the Cold War and McCarthyism. And uh, gay America was shadows. It was a secret subculture. It had its own clubs and code words. Jim made an older man. He said that he thought the word gay was cool to use, but that put off some older guys he dated because they thought that Jim and other younger guys were ruining a good code word by popularly using gay and that before long, guys would be afraid to ask anybody if they were gay because everybody else would have learned what gay meant. And whenever he left a bar with a guy, they'd end up walking two or three blocks to the older guy's car. They never parked next to a gay bar because these men usually had good times and didn't want their livelihoods threatened by a race. Uh, these men usually had good jobs and didn't want their livelihoods threatened by an arrest. So uh, 
The true turning point of these times was the rise of the gay press. It was a radical new type of publication that created the fledgling gay civil rights movement. I, I, I just and, I, and I've read articles and things about that that time, and it just it sounds. It sadly is not that long ago, but it's really it just sounds like a whole different world. I could not imagine just the experience and, and just the, the the mental bearings everybody y'all had to have at that time. That just seems like just a lot to deal with. It was a it was a hard time, but uh, as I said, the true turning point was drug. In 1953, One Magazine first began publishing. Most people have never heard of One Magazine, but in a gay publication in the U.S., it was about the size of Reader's Digest, but it had fewer pages, about, uh, I guess, two or three dozen pages per issue. Uh, but by 1957, about 3,000 monthly copies uh, were printed and they were sold through subscriptions and also sold at newsstands. Uh, it essentially marked the true beginning of the gay press, and one positioned itself into the forefront of the emerging queer movement, and it awakened the sexual nature. People were unaware of one magazine, but straight people who paid attention to it were scared by the magazine. So now instead of finding a communist under every bed they were finding a queer there it's interesting a couple of years after one started publishing the u.s post office impounded the magazines october 1954 and the obscene and filthy hmm. and the post office refused to deliver one through the mail so one took the post office to court in los angeles and they lost the judge ruled that the magazine was calculated to stimulate the lust of homosexual readers. So one appealed the judge's ruling to U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they lost again. The appeals court ruled that articles in the magazine were nothing more than cheap pornography, that it was morally depraved and debased. So after these two legal setbacks, uh, one staff members were dejected and disability, but one their case of all things to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, one staff members were pessimistic, but they okayed their attorney's plan of action, and the court did not even hear oral arguments. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruled unanimously in one's favor. The high court reversed the lower court's opinion and the Supreme Court essentially ruled that one magazine's discussion of homosexuality was not obscene, that it was an exercise of free speech. in the USA. So this was the first legal victory for in the US Supreme Court. And that landmark decision made it possible for homosexual publications to exist, and that allowed the 
equal rights for homosexual movements to develop and advance. And it was one magazine that fought and won that crucial, critical initial battle. Wow. See, I, I'm glad you're talking about this because this is a part of queer gay history that we, I don't feel that many people know. Um, and I think that the, the great thing about your book is it, it's really shedding a light to our gay history. Because many, I work at a, a college, so many of our students are not always aware of how things were. They, they may know things from how it was in the 80s, but thinking further back, they have no idea. So I, I, I like the fact that you're kind of giving us a little bit of a history lesson of just, you know, how, for example, a magazine was almost, you know, had to go all the way up to the courts, um, you know, just to be able to be given out or just to be able to be sold or be seen, you know, it had to go all the way up to just the Supreme Court. So that's very fascinating. I did not know that. And one of the uh, important people in the magazine uh, was a guy named Bailey Whitaker, who Jim was friends with throughout his life. Um, in the mid-1950s, Jim became friends with an interracial black and white couple. And the black guy in the relationship was Bailey Whitaker. And at the time they met, Bailey was in the LA area who taught special education classes for kids with learning disabilities. And he and Jim would play their favorite music on a bar's jukebox, a lot of Nat King Cole and Johnny Mathis songs. So anyway, it turned out that Bailey had, had been involved with both One Magazine and One Incorporated. In fact, Bailey was the person who named Magazine he named it after a quote by the Victorian writer Thomas Carlyle, who wrote that uh, a mystic bond of brotherhood makes all and Jim made sense to him because he remembered that his friends would always wonder about a guy's sexuality by asking, is he one? Jim is usually asking, is he gay? So the name one seemed sensible Jim. Anyway, uh, Bailey Whitaker was a formidable uh, force in the success of the magazine. Um, under his pseudonym of Guy Rousseau, he was one of uh, one incorporated's founding members who voted to incorporate as a California nonprofit body. And his editor, uh, Dor Leg, uh, a white guy, uh, was chairman of the board of One Incorporated. But Billy served as One Magazine's first circulation manager and found sales representatives across the USA who wanted to earn a good commission by selling One Magazines. And he also encouraged more people to subscribe by providing mail-in subscription cards inserted inside the magazine. So anyway, Bailey became a mentor, uh, mentor and a teacher to Jim. And he taught Jim things that Jim needed to know to survive as a homosexual. And Bailey and Jim kept in contact and runs throughout Bailey's life. And in 1977, 
Jim attended San Francisco's Gay Weeks Pride celebrations, and he visited his old friend Bailey Whitaker. And Bailey was at that time had moved up to the Bay Area, and he was living across the Bay in Berkeley, just a couple of blocks from the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, Bailey had earned a doctor's degree in philosophy and communications, and followed all the news about the U.S. Supreme Court. He could even name every Supreme Court justice. I figure that his interest um, obviously began in the court case before the Supreme Court. But Bailey was into meditative spiritual awareness in the early 1970s. He sojourned to India and Kathmandu, Nepal, so that he could get an up close glimpse of Hindu metaphysics. Um, but uh, Jim loved Bailey and he listened affectionately to Bailey's heartfelt wonderment. Uh, you know, Bailey experienced racial discrimination and felt that he was somewhat marginalized within the gay community as a natural. And at that time, he also faced discrimination within the black community for gay, being gay and proudly fighting for uh, gay rights was Mattachine Society, which was founded in 1950. It was founded in, in 1950, and that was only five years before Rosa Parks in 1955 refused to give up her seat to a white person on a Montgomery, Alabama city bus. And as you know, historians, historians generally believe that it was the point for racial rights movement in the United States. So Bailey believed that the racial civil rights movement and the gay civil rights movement were more closely aligned than many blacks and gay people at that time realized. In fact, he claimed that, in fact, those two movements and other minority groups all truly comprised one civil rights movement as a whole. And that was uh, over 45 years ago that Dr. Bailey Whitaker predicted that the ties between these minority groups would grow increasingly closer. Yeah, that's really good to know. And that's and now I, I need to feel like I need to learn more about that particular person as well. So I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm going to take a look at that as I learn more about our, about our own history. Things, again, things that I didn't even know about. Um, Jim always thought Bailey was uh, was the first uh, black in the gay civil rights movement, mm -hmm. uh, a movement that essentially started in 1950. Hmm. Wow. And I know uh, you said um, how Bailey said that the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement are one uh, and the same. And we saw a little bit of that in terms of uh, later on in the 60s with um, Malcolm X saying 
uh, trying to get uh, Black people together as far as um, and Hispanics, uh, poor whites into this movement. And it just goes to show that despite our, how many, despite our differences, we're still so much similar together. Yeah, homosexual and homophile activist groups in the 1950s began to orient themselves toward building links of solidarity with uh, black groups and other minority groups. And in the radical times of the late 1960s and the early 1970s, activists often worked in more than one constantly transferred their experiences and knowledge back and forth from one movement to another. So forming a personal opinion on these issues remains uh, part of the scope of my reporting in Whitaker's uh, perspectives. He was uh, truly ahead of his time. Wow. So you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but could you talk about some of the dangers it was for gay men back in those days? What were things that, like, how did you navigate? How did you meet people, but how you also trust people that these wasn't people trying to like find out who were gay? Like what was some of the dangers and, and, and matters that y'all was facing at that point? Well, especially uh, being pursued by uh, the police and and being discriminated against, uh, as I said, um, gay rights uh, were just being formed at that time, and um, people would just laugh if. Uh, if homosexuals uh, tried to uh, assert their rights. But, uh, you know, to, to keep from losing our equal rights, we're going to have to be vigilant or they will be taken away. In fact, right now, legal briefs have been written by conservative right-wing lawyers who are encouraging And also with overturning Lawrence v. Texas that ruled that state laws banning homosexual and overturning Obergefell versus Hodges that granted LGBT people LGBT people the right to same-sex marriage. And people don't realize that those two current rights easily can be overturned by the Supreme Court. So people need to get involved and we must stand vigilant. Absolutely, especially now since the Supreme Court is so ultra conservative and we saw what happened um, with the women's right, re reproductive rights in Texas. We see the shadow docket, how they just uh, didn't even step in when uh, Texas implemented this uh, six weeks ban on abortion where women don't even know that they're, most women don't even know that they're pregnant. 
uh, in six weeks. So this is just not about gay rights. This is more, so many rights are now on the chopping block. Uh, so Texas has always been uh, somewhat oppressive. Uh, mm -hmm. And banned from California, Texas, and specifically Dallas, come into direct focus in this because in 1962, uh, Jim visited Dallas. Uh, Jim stayed away from his dysfunctional family, a uh, far away abusive home. But money had become a problem, and he, he'd been registered at YMCA for about a week or 10 days. All of his money, and uh, he didn't know how he was going to pay, so filling a bill with $100 in it. And the police caught him, and uh, the Dallas County uh, found Jim guilty and handed him a five-year prison sentence in the Texas State Penitentiary, the Texas uh, Department of Criminal Justice. And California covered the time that Jim been in prison. And in the book, we learn a lot about Jim's upbringing as a chronic runaway from his dysfunctional family. And my reporting in the book details his repeated placement in institutions, uh, including being placed in a... Um, hold on, I have to edit this. Including uh, being placed... In my reporting, the book details his repeated placement in institutions, including being placed in an orphanage and later into a reform school. And later, at about the age of 13, he was placed in the Idaho State Mental Hospital for, uh, uh, for being homosexual, because of course at that time, they viewed it as uh, being mentally ill. And anyway, because of his repeated placement in institutions, it really was almost a foregone conclusion that he'd eventually end up in prison. And there were a lot of hardened prisoners there and a lot of dangers. He served on a prison farm where he toiled on a chain gang. And in the summertime, life was absolutely miserable. Uh, Jim and the other chain gang prisoners were forced to endure backbreaking work. And the prisoners sweated in a hot blazing sun. They worked uh, the building irrigation structures and harvesting crops. And the work was physical abuse. Uh, they constantly worked and simply could not stop. But uh, Jim was the closest thing to a lady out there in that chain gang. Uh, the uniformed field bosses and guards never seen anybody like him out there before. Uh, but for Boss and Jim, it became a regular routine. Of course, out of his mind, and he called Jim forward and griped about Jim's work methods. Uh, to keep his hoe in the ground when he hoed and don't bend his legs when he scraped the irrigation ditch and keep his feet apart when he shoveled the crops and on and on. 
but Boss pretty quickly concluded that he wasn't going to be successful and met to a masculine lover. So Jim was forced to endure a prison farm. Then after the chain gang, uh, Jim eventually was transferred to the main prison where he was segregated with other queer prisoners in an area called Queen's Row. He was confined there inside a solitary jail cell all by himself. Uh, the queens were kept separated uh, from the other prisoners, but that only ended up depriving the straight prisoners of effeminate queens for uh, passionate sex. So the bulls terrorized young masculine straight guys who of course to get sex. But uh, getting to know Jim was difficult for most guys in prison because the guard maintained a close watch over him. Whenever the guards escorted Jim throughout the prison walls to appointments, he'd turn around and blow kisses to convicts to make them feel good. And they, in turn, would wink at him and make wolf whistles to Jim. <clears throat> Jim acquired a lot of boyfriends throughout the prison, and they communicated with him through love books. And love letters were secretly passed back and forth by runners who swept and mopped the tears and delivered food trays. Uh, the runners also wheeled carts to prisoners that contained commissary, like soap and towels and cigarettes and uh, newspapers and stuff. So Jim's so-called boyfriends would send him love letters and little commissary gifts that Jim thought he needed so he could better endure prison life. Um, Jimmy came with a roly-poly short fat guy called Peaches. And Peaches was locked up in a cell next to Jim's solitary cell. So he was nice and pleasant and he was about the same age as Jim. And Peaches' father made him take male hormone shots to turn his effeminate son into a real man. But the only thing that did was cause a profusion of tiny, thin hair, uh, almost like peach fuzz, to grow all over Peach's body. Uh, Peach's father owned a movie theater located in the Dallas Negro District of Deep Ellum, which contained various businesses and entertainment venues that catered to the black community. And Peach's sold refreshments at the theater and started dating black men from there. And he fell for one black boyfriend. So they left the oppression of Dallas for a more extensive atmosphere of Denver in the Colorado mountains. And his father didn't like it one bit because his children were not supposed to associate with black people back in the 1960s. So when the bill started rolling in, uh, Peach's father removed all the money from Peaches' account, and Peaches was arrested for uh, for writing black checks. And his father refused to bail his son out of jail, and he let Peaches be sent to prison. And there in prison, Peaches acquired a couple of black boyfriends, and of course, he and Jim became became very good friends in prison. Now let's get into Stonewall because that's also a big 
game changer. Um, can you talk about how Stonewall um, kind of helped begin or helped push more of this movement? A month after Jim arrived in, uh, in Denver, after he moved there, uh, Stonewall occurred. And uh, even though in New York, any news in the national media or in the local uh, Denver media. And it wasn't until three or four weeks later when he read The Advocate that he first learned about uh, Stonewall. But of course, since then, Stonewall through the years have gained more and more, more and more uh, storied uh, history. And um, anyway, it was a time when, um, that people really thought that um, gay civil rights was starting to be fought for. Because before that, um, you know, most people think nowadays, because of the media, that Stonewall was the beginning of the uh, gay rights movement. But it truly was not. Uh, it was two decades previously that uh, that gay civil rights movement began. I think media and <clears throat> Hollywood has a part to play in how they uh, view, how how the public views Stonewall um, and how it was started and who it was started by. Um, and that's two generations that come after us disadvantaged. I'm not knowing their history, but not only not knowing their history and not knowing their history correctly. Yes, um, I agree. Uh, one of the problems is that when uh, the true gay civil rights movement began with the Medicine Society and um, people didn't talk about homosexuality. It was an object that was uh, considered uh, not appropriate for, um, for family newspapers. And it wasn't until about the time of Stonewall that uh, newspapers began covering uh, homosexuals and the, the new gay rights movement. So, of course, uh, Stonewall uh, uh, could be spoken about at that time, where two decades previously, um, uh, the Madison Society could not. Wow. Well, uh, well yeah, it, it's, and I'm glad again with your book, it will kind of tie in what was, what has been missing from the conversation, as well as just kind of giving us more of an insight of, you know, what led into Stonewall, what happened after the fact. But I, I, again, I'm very glad that we are able to now have your book as a reference of seeing what happened before Stonewall. Um, so that, that's a pretty good way to, of, of thinking about it. But it's also really interesting, again, how much we just don't know that we haven't known for years. 
That's right. Let's see, so I, one more question I have, and, 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 and Nick put this really together really well. So, you know, as homophobia is just morphing and changing throughout these days, um, you know, along with the times and, you know, how technology is changing, um, how do we combat the morphing of homophobia? Well, I think uh, the way is, uh, people need to uh, get involved uh, and uh, fight for their rights. Um, Jim, when he was younger, uh, he was at the uh, mercy of a lot of uh, the problems that he encountered, including the persecution uh, that, uh, that he faced. And when he moved to Denver, he finally put his destiny in his own hands. He got involved in the uh, gay civil rights movement, uh, what at the time uh, was, uh, was called the, uh, the gay uh, movement. And, um, and this gay gym with the opportunity uh, to uh, get involved in, in something that uh, he felt uh, that, he, that helped him, uh, as I said, put, put his life and his destiny into his own hands. And I think that uh, nowadays, uh, the same is true. If people get involved, they feel like they're doing something about their own life instead of being at the mercy of, uh, of events around them. So I would encourage uh, uh, people nowadays uh, to get involved. You still have to, uh, you know, movement is very involved and uh, the LGBTQ community has to get involved too or they could lose their rights and that would be my uh, uh, my prescription for helping yourself out those are wise words um, and we need to get involved, not just nationally, but at a local level as well. That's right, get involved in a uh, cause uh, worth, uh, worth fighting for. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is called Banned from California. Uh, Jim, and I'm, is it Fauché? Yes. Okay. Persecution, Redemption, Liberation, and the Gay Civil Rights Movement by Robert C. Steele. It is out right now. I would highly recommend this, uh, especially for our younger youth. Um, make sure they get their hands on this. I hope it's available in libraries for they can, so they can read it um, in their schools. Um, I think this is a, a story that can uh, resonate 
with a lot of people and with the political climate and so much at stake, uh, we can draw inspiration and maybe find our own voice from this story. Uh, so Robert, thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, and we really greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys. As I said, you're doing a lot of work and up the good work. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you.